Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Minneapolis. With me is Greg Velasquez in Des Moines. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. The U.S. U-17's trip to Brazil was cut short on Saturday night with a 4-0 loss to the Netherlands. That's it. We're out of the World Cup after a 4-1 loss to Senegal and a 0-0 draw with Japan. Joining me to recap Saturday's game and try to take something away from the tournament is Matt Hartman. Thanks, man. How are you? I'm slightly discouraged, Bells. Thankfully, the last several years of American soccer has offered me plenty of preparation for stuff like this. (laughs) And really, if we're being honest, uh, the Senegal and Japan games were the writing on the wall for this group. Yeah, I got to say, like, emotionally, and obviously emotion is part of this for us podcasters, uh, emotionally, the Senegal game kind of took it out of me. And I, the rest of the, the other two games have kind of been a, a wash. I didn't really expect that much after the way we played against Senegal. And I, it turned out to be right on that front. Yeah, I was kind of in the same place as well. Big picture, I take solace from the fact that there is talent on this team. Kobe's got real class. At some point, he'll sign with a club and get to play left back. Odunze and Las are promising goalkeepers. I think Ricardo Pepe had a bad tournament, but he's still a big prospect. Uh, Bello still has a high upside, I think. A pretty raw player, as we've seen, but still has a lot of upside. Gio Reyna's a talented player at a good club for his development. The thing that bugs me, you know, the thing that bugs me is that these youth national teams play to win. That's why they go to the World Cup. And this team looked miles from being a winning team. They got, of course, one point and one goal in three matches. And it was always going to be a tough group. But I think it's fair to be really, really disappointed with the way our young Americans played. Not a lot of ideas in the attack. A general lack of quality, lack of sharpness, lack of courage, lack of toughness. We conceded goals just before the half in both losses. I thought our body language was poor. Shoulders were dropping. Not only do we not look like a very good soccer team we look like a collection of players who didn't believe in themselves and lacked competitive edge do you disagree with any of that soliloquy (laughs) no i don't that's really well said bells uh i agree with all of it though i think it should be restated that the usual disclaimer with u17 results is that they don't matter all too much in the grand scheme of things the u15 team that i mean the 2015 team that uh, also only managed one point in the group stage of the world cup produced the two best american players in the world right now Mm -hmm. in christian pulisic and tyler adams yeah so yeah it's 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 disappointing that we couldn't give a better account of ourselves but as you've said um there's still individual talents in the group to be excited about although i would completely agree with the fact that the team didn't have the quality or the fight to compete in this tournament and wiki certainly deserves some blame for the player selection and perhaps the roster selection. But in the end, I do think that we had the least talented roster of players in our group. And it's understandably hard for a group that played with the ball for the vast majority of qualifying to adjust to a, a, the considerably higher of l- level of competition at, at a World Cup. Yeah, it was night and day, man. It was night and day going from yep. CONCACAF to, to this group at the World Cup. Let's get into the game, do our normal procedure. Uh, the Netherlands came out with a standard 4-3-3, as all Dutch teams do. Uh, Calvin Ratzi in goal, Steven Vandersloot, Kiana Hoover, uh, Divine Wrench, and Anas Salah Edin across the back line. Uh, Yuri Regeer and Kenneth Taylor as the deeper central mids. 
and then an attacking front four really of Nasi Unavar, Jaden Braff, Mohamed Tabuni, and Sanche Hansen. Uh, worth noting that eight of the 11 players came from Ajax. Um, the other three came from Man City, I think, Liverpool, and uh, AZ Alkmaar, if I'm not mistaken. How did the U.S. come out? Uh, I'll call it a 4-3-3 uh, as well, although in practice the wingers spent uh, more time defending on the second line than attacking alongside the quote-unquote striker. But anyways, uh, it was Chituru Odunze in goal, George Bello, Kobe Hernandez-Foster, Tavon Gray, and Joe Scali along the back line from left to right. A central midfield partnership of Adam Saldana and Danny Leva with Gianluca Busio in front. And a forward line of Andres Jason on the left wing, Ethan Dobelair on the right, and Gio Reyna at the nine. You'll be surprised to know that zero of the 11 players came from Ajax. <laughs> the only one who could have come from Ajax, Joshua Pinadath, was not on the roster. We'll get into that briefly later. It's not as big of a deal for us as it is for some people out there. But um, I guess to for me, the, there were no real surprises here, right? Except Tavon Gray got to play... Uh, ahead of Nico Carrera. I think maybe uh, some people would be surprised by that. And then Pepe was hurt, so that's why uh, Reyna played the nine. That's a little bit of a surprise that that uh, that Wiki wouldn't start Alfonso Campos-Chavez at the nine, right? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, it wasn't a surprising roster based on uh, lineup based on how we had been playing the tournament. I was perhaps, uh, perhaps a little surprised to see Danny Leva get to start again um, knowing how he had played in the tournament and how this game was probably going to go. You know, he, he played 180 minutes yeah. till this point as well. So, you know, he, he's not a player that's still running around like crazy in the second half of games as is. But yeah, it, it seems like it's just one of the things that Wiki was steadfast on, you know, alongside something like Kobe staying at that left center back role. Yeah. That, those were his, uh, his core principles, Kobe at left center back and <laughs> right. Leva Saldana d- double pivot. Okay, so the game the game didn't start off too badly. Uh, in the seventh minute, the first big chance for either side was uh, was from the U.S. Uh, a Kobe diagonal to Joe Scali at right back on the right wing. Um, Scali brings it down and then hits a lovely head high cross to Reyna, who flashes his header wide. He did he did make pretty good contact, but just hit it wide. So we had a chance. We had a chance there. Yeah, it was a great ball to the open man by Kobe, who was able to pick out teammates across the field with consistency for most of most of the tournament. Uh, Scally took a little while to settle the ball down, but there wasn't a Dutchman within 10 yards of him at that point. You could say, uh, I mean, as you said, the cross into Reyna was well hit, and Gio couldn't turn it on target, uh, though he made good contact with it. I think it would have required decent placement to beat the keeper, but... I think you'd rather Reyna ask a question of the goalie from that range instead of trying to flick it back post. Right. Yep. Ninth minute, USA gets another chance after a corner kick, one on a little George Bellow run and clipped ball into the danger area. That's cleared. Um, Reyna's set piece is cleared by a Dutch defender and then slashed at by Adam Saldana at the top of the box, whose shot also flashes wide. Well hit, just couldn't keep it on frame. Yeah. The entire passage of play between the Geo header wide and this moment is what Wiki would have been looking for in this team all tournament. The the midfield uh, forces a turnover by trapping a Dutch player on the sideline. The ball moved quickly uh, across the back line from right to left and then eventually ended up at Bellow's feet, who puts a pass in behind for Jason, 
who uh, managed to keep the play alive long enough for Bello to eventually uh, find the ball in the attacking third and create Jane, uh, danger. A wonderful strike from Saldana after the cor- after a relatively tame corner by our tallest player on the field. Yeah, would have been a go- would have been a golazo. Yeah, right. Then the Netherlands starts to starts to carve out some chances. This was uh, Nazi Unavar had a chance after a really nice Dutch move through the left side of our defense, and Unavar, who is a a player I'm really high on. He's yeah. He's he looks he looks <laughs> like so good. something special. He he should have passed to Vandersloot, the the right back who was wide open to his right. Instead, he took a shot and uh, it just went wide. I think if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was the best best passage of play in the game to this point. A couple of good Dutch passes opened up our defense after the high our high press failed to get near the ball. Uh, pretty lucky that Unavar decided to not lay the ball across to Vandersloot because it would have been a one on one with Odunze from a pretty good range. It would have been one zero. Let's be honest. Yep. Yeah. Seventeenth minute chance USA long ball from Scally over the top and Reyna wins it well. You know he shows that he shows in this case I think what he can do as a as a number nine. He wins the ball. He he bodies a guy off and he draws a keeper out and dribbles around him and then passes to Jason at the top of the box, who probably should have taken it first time since the goalkeeper was out. But uh, Jason dilly dallies, which is kind of what he's been doing the whole tournament, and plays it wide to Bellow. Once the keeper had returned to the goal mouth and Bello hits it at least 10 yards over the goal, it was uh, it was way over. It was a field goal. Yeah, this moment kind of summed up Jason's tournament, who didn't adapt well to the speed of play at the World Cup, despite being a dominant player at DA level. He looked more afraid to make a mistake than he looked prepared to make a difference. And mm. in that moment in particular, he definitely needs to take it first time or release it to Bello a second or two earlier if he doesn't doesn't shoot. He was just too indecisive. 18th minute. I mean, I totally agree with that. 18th minute, a chance for the Netherlands. Corner kick from the left side from Holland's vantage point, and Leva just loses Jaden Broff. Uh, I guess he's their number nine? Uh, yeah, he's the closest thing to it. Uh, in, in this moment, Leva just gets caught ball watching, and again, a, a bit of a microcosm of his tournament. Just isn't a, in a, uh, an effective defender at this level, and like I said earlier, was a questionable selection. He was a questionable selection for this game, given the minutes he played before this tournament and how we were going to have to, how much we were going to have to defend against the Dutch. Yeah. I mean, you and I have always, we always have disagreed a little bit about Leva. I've been higher on him than you have uh, for, for time in Memorial. And we argue about this pretty regularly, but I think there's no doubt Leva does have physical limitations. Those really came to the fore in this tournament like right. the speed of the game. Um, and he, he looked gassed. I mean, he looked, he looked gassed a lot of the time out there. Like he just wasn't, he just wasn't fully fit or something. Yeah. It was strange. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what it was there, but you know, it's not something that we haven't seen before this team, you know, gassing, not just Leva, but the whole team gassing as games go on. And it, it definitely doesn't help to have a player like Busio in front of him, who, you know, is, is a decent defender from the 10, but isn't, a great defender as a midfielder in general you know if this was like a tab coached team or something you probably would have seen that third midfielder if you're if you are playing leva be a little bit more uh defensive yeah or ath- or a little more athletic or something right. you know i mean leva does a lot of good stuff on the ball when he has time um but he didn't have a lot of time in this tournament in the anyway we'll, we'll talk more about that 
this next passage of play, 19th minute, Unavar has a shot deflected wide. 21st minute, Kobe giveaway and Broff run into the box. 26th minute, Tabuni hits one right at Odunze. So the half chances for the Netherlands start accumulating right in the middle of this of the first half. I think it was Gray that got a piece of the Unavar shot to knock it off frame. It's well done by him. The poor giveaway in the in the 21st minute by Kobe was you know a little bit discouraging because you know it's the type of thing where if when the other 10 players on the team see Kobe giving up a, a ball like that they're like you know oh god if he's if he's starting to make mistakes yeah we're sunk but, yeah exactly um then yeah a bad there was a bad uh, Leva turnover upfield in the 23rd minute the the Dutch press really kicked into high gear around the 20th and. We didn't respond well. They established possession in our half, and our wingers needed to drop deep to help defend. And we were just weren't able to consistently play out, giving the limited options that we had upfield. Uh, the 30, uh, 31st minute speculative Gio Reyna shot from distance was our really only our our only really decent chance in this stretch of 20 minutes or so. And Bello looked the only player on the team capable of beating a player off the off the dribble to beat the press. Yeah, Bello looked even a little sharper. I thought he was okay against Japan. I thought he looked a little sharper t- last night than he did against Japan. So there's some small encouragement in, in his improving form as the tournament went on. Uh, in the 42nd minute, the Netherlands scored, and um, it was just so easy. It was so easy. Sanche Hansen gets it about 25 yards from goal, skips past Andres Jason, cuts George Bello, and then slots it under the outstretched leg of Saldana for the game's opening goal. It wasn't it wasn't a complicated thing. It was his uh you know, Sanchez Hansen's first touch was I don't know, seven yards away from himself to beat Jason. Um I don't know. It it just it just rubbed me the wrong way the the way that whole thing unfolded. Yeah, I mean Jason isn't a great defender. You know, uh, he's he's decent he's decent at pressing players upfield, but you know, defending on at the top of the box like he was here, he never looked good in the tournament. So he, he got past Jason with ease, and then Bello looks like he's cheating def- towards defending a potential run to the end line. Uh, and I think it's actually Saldana who is most to blame here. Is he he was defending inside Bello in a perfect position to block the shot, and just gets caught leaning the wrong way as Hansen moved the ball to his left foot. Uh, perhaps the reason why Saldana would be get subbed off at half. Maybe that's the reason Saldana got subbed off. I mean, he did get megged by the shot. His body was in position to block it. He just he got megged by a shot. Sometimes that happens. But regardless, Wiki needed to change something at halftime, and uh, and the midfield was as ripe of a place for change as any. Yeah, totally. Uh, bringing Brian Ko on for Saldana was a good move, in my opinion. Probably a change that having Ko on the field in general is probably a change I would have made from the start of the game and i think that immediately after halftime ko you know definitely brought some much needed energy to the team yeah well so he came on for for Saldana, as you mentioned and then accomplished chavez came on for davalair on at the right at right wing that's a sub that that I, i'm i'm glad a change was made but it really didn't accomplish anything aoc looked arguably less effective than davalair with the ball at his feet wouldn't you say yeah, I'd probably. I mean, it's like comparing a zero to, to a zero. Is not you know that not much happened down that side the entire game. Um, 
Ocampo Chavez has never really looked particularly good on the wing for for this team. It should it's probably worth worth noting and the few chances he did get on the ball he couldn't do much with. Yeah, he cut inside every time. So we we didn't have anybody who uh, on either side really with Reyna playing up up top who could uh, get to the end line and destabilize a defense. 51st minute, uh, the Netherlands scores again, and this one was this one was really discouraging. If the first one was discouraging, this one was even more so because it yeah. just seemed like a, a lack of effort across the field from the U.S. Kenneth Taylor, the Dutch captain and number six, picked the ball up in the center circle, and I'd say he took 15 yards unopposed with Leva so, kind of back, like that. backpedaling in front of him. He easily picked out uh, Salah Eddin drifting unmarked down our left flank, he had uh, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi to gather himself at the end line and pick out a pass as Ocampo Chavez kind of gradually worked back toward him. And then his driven ball across is kind of dummied by uh, by Broff, I believe, and then met by Hansen for Hansen's second goal. He also was unmarked. So I don't know. There were five defenders in the box. I don't know what any of them was doing in this situation. And the game yeah. at this point, the game is over two zero. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't, Leva did nothing to prevent the pass in. You know, he kind of looked like Michael Bradley in this situation, just waiting for the player to come to him. You know, in that defensive crouch. I don't know where Scally was after the ball found its way to the left wing, he, which was you know again a theme for Scally since qualifying. You know, just being too far up the field. Uh, the ball across makes it through. You know, as you said, a, a, a crowd of completely unmarked uh, players while the, a bunch of U.S. defenders happened to, you know, be in the area watching. As soon as the ball went in, the energy just left. Whatever energy that was left in the team completely disappeared, and the game was really all Dutch uh, from here on out. Yeah. So we have a lot more. Well, I guess we don't have that much more in the scoring summary. Let's do it. Let's do it as quickly as possible. 70th-minute goal. For the Netherlands, this was on a simple restart deep in the Dutch half. Sprayed it out wide to Hansen before the camera could even catch up. Uh, Hansen picks it up and he just dribbles straight north down the field. Uh, Jason was unable to catch up to him. I mean, Jason did actually catch up to him in the box, but he cut inside of Jason and then tapped it uh, sideways for Mohamed Tabuni, who was arriving late. Leva caught napping a little bit again, and Tabuni slams it home 3-0. Yep, not too much to add here. A few simple passes and runs completely undi- undid our barely awake defense at this point. The biggest takeaway from this goal is it started the uh, wiki yelling at people defending on the left-hand side that that, got, that, that Dutch player, I forget his name, is going to cut in. <laughs> and yeah. like for the next 15 minutes, wiki's just yelling at Scali and Jason that he's uh, going to cut in on that foot. Right. Right, yeah, he kept. It was it was very audible on the broadcast. Show him outside. Show him outside, Scally. Um, I, so the U.S. got carved up a few more times down the right flank, and 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 towards the end of the game, the Netherlands was just sort of set up in our half, and they were just playing with us. And it, I think it's worth mentioning that this was not a Netherlands side brimming with confidence, and and not even in the first half were they brimming with confidence until they sort of realized that they should have been brimming with confidence considering the the opposition they were up against. They had only scored one goal all tournament. And um, a theme of this tournament is that our opponents have grown in confidence the longer they've been on the field with us. And that certainly happened last night. 
I think the du- the Dutch will have wished they had played us first to uh, give the the whole tournament a, a different cast. <laughs> right. Um. The, that theme of our opponents having grown in confidence the longer they're on the field with us isn't just a thing that we've seen in these in the three games of this tournament, right? We saw it in the Mexico game at the end of CONCACAF qualifying and the Brazil yeah. game, the friendly before this tournament. This, seemed just, this team just seems to run out of gas around halftime, and I, I really don't know why that is the case. Yeah. I mean, it's is it a simple fitness issue? I don't know. I mean, it's that's that if it is that, that's only one of the problems. Let me be right. very clear. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, we we seem to run out of steam. We gave up a penalty. KO fouled Braff in the box, kind of a late clumsy stab. Odunze made a nice save on that penalty, so that's something positive to take from the game. Yeah, I mean, Odunze did everything he could have done in this game. I thought he didn't have too much of a chance at any at any of the goals. Um after that third goal went in, the team looked completely shell-shocked. Like, they were crawling out of their foxholes to defend. And just wasn't wasn't happening. Uh, the, the Dutch were passing at, around the top of our box at will. And we're, we're just getting completely dominated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The last goal, the, the final salt in the wound, came in the 86th minute. A stray bellow pass, and his, his intended target was Leva, um, is picked off by, I think... Kiana Hoover and played forward to Naufal Banis, who was a sub, and he's in space and he cleverly squares it to Jaden Broff, who cuts Adunze and thrashes it home 4-0. There was one more thing I want to mention from the game after that. Uh, KO did have a pretty nice uh, chance 1v1 with the keeper where he just decides to dribble straight down the middle of the field and he beats like five guys. And, you know, it doesn't come to anything, but that was the kind of sort of initiative taking that I, that we didn't have from any of our midfielders or attackers. And it was nice to see even at the end of a very discouraging night. So I, th- I think Kale, you know, Kale showed well in his half of play in this tournament. <laughs> yeah, kind of makes you think that he probably should have played more than a half. Yeah. Let's go to the takeaways. I'll give my, I know I'm doing a lot of the talking here, Matt, so I apologize for that, but let me... Let me give my first takeaway, and then I'll let you do the second one. So the first one for me is this Ernie Stewart, Berhalter brothers regime uh, really takes an L on this one, I think. They've pushed out every youth national team coach that was there when they started, including uh, including Tab Ramos. And this Wiki was their guy. Rafa Wiki was their guy. He's the only youth national team coach in U.S. soccer's employ at the moment. And I thought Wiki did pretty well in qualifying. But I, I think this undoes a lot of that goodwill. They get the worst youth national team showing at a World Cup since 2015. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's going to be hard to justify promoting Wiki to U20 coach off the back of this performance, if that is indeed the plan. Wiki came into the job as a Burhalter apostle, claiming that uh, he believed in the Burhalter style of play and that it could be implemented at U17 level. Well, not only was that game plan ineffective, but it was almost half abandoned in favor of defensive structure and counterattacks right. in this tournament. So it didn't look like the players were set up to succeed, both because of the naivety of plan A against quality opposition and in their preparedness to embrace the sit back and counter plan B that was needed. Plan B was pretty ragged, I would yep. say. Yeah. And not to mention the the new regime, another thing the new regime has done 
is apparently they've 86'd the youth national team summit idea. So to the extent that the talent in this side is not uh, as good as it needs to be, that's that's not going to be rectified the way it was for the last U20 cycle when, uh, when Richie Ledesma, Chris Richards, and Frankie Amaya, they all emerged in this youth national team summit. 153 players from all different ages uh, all met in Florida in the January after a, a youth World Cup year. And so the new regime doesn't want to do that. And that seems like a, a lost opportunity, I guess. Yeah, it's just absolute nonsense to me. I, I don't understand why, having looked at the production the last one gave us, the last uh, youth summit gave us, why anybody would think it wouldn't be a good idea to have another one of these. Um, you know, obviously not the first time I'm going to have a disagreement with the current leadership at U.S. Soccer, but I really hope this just isn't a one of those things where it's not happening because it wasn't their idea. I mean, we'll we'll probably never know, but it was yep. it was Tab's idea, and uh, or at least Tab was involved in the formation of the idea, and so they didn't want to do it. They don't want to do it now. So there you have it. Conclude what you want. You want to take the? You want to give a takeaway? Sure. I think, and we've touched on this leading up to this point that Concacaf qualifying just wasn't good enough preparation for the World Cup this cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, you could make an argument that we were the best team in the best U17 team in Concacaf uh, outside of you know that very end of the um, maybe not the very end but the, the last hour or so of yeah. the of the final against Mexico. And we weren't uh, ready for the World Cup, and I think that might be even underselling it a little bit. The only CONCACAF team that has a chance of making it out of the round of 16 is Mexico, you know, and their their group, I'd say, is a little easier than us, if not considerably easy, given that they have a uh, free three points sitting at the bottom of their group in, in the Solomon Islands. Right. But yeah, uh, just not CONCACAF wasn't good enough uh, to prepare us for this tournament. And I think that that's something that uh, we should probably we probably should have been ready for in that um, the style of play that we played to get here throughout CONCACAF probably wasn't a, a style of play that we were going to get away with against the champions of Europe, the champions of Asia and a talented African side. Very, a very, very good African side. Yeah, I don't know what the I don't know what the solution to that is. I mean, we're we're sitting in Concacaf. That's not going to change. Mike Mike Watala in the interview I had with him last week made the point that in the past, uh, youth national team coaches were uh, like the U16 coach would help the U17 coach at the World Cup, and then he like he might get promoted, and then he would be you know he would be ready for that sort of change in competition from the Concacaf qualifying tournament to the World Cup. Uh, it's worth noting that Wiki do- doesn't have that experience, didn't have that experience going into this tournament. Who knows if that played a role in this, but it's a, it's a possibility. Well, on the bright side, Bells, at least are at the the current U16 coach got the opportunity to learn under Wiki this time, so it's not going to happen next cycle, right? Well, who is the current U16 coach? I can't remember. I can't remember either. Okay. That's weird. <laughs> I get it. You're you're being sarcastic. There is no U16 uh-huh. coach. I was like, wait a second. I didn't think there was one. All right, I'm a little I'm a little slow. All right. Next next takeaway is our lack of dan for me at least is our lack of dangerous wingers made us dull and predictable in the attack. 
even in transition. This has been a problem for the U-17s the whole cycle. We just haven't been able to identify difference makers who can operate from wide. A player like Josh Pinadath couldn't break into this squad. I was initially okay with that, but now I'm not so sure. I would have liked to see Sahir Arce in the squad. The the Morelia player said that before the roster came out. That probably would have helped. Even though he's not a winger, he's uh, he's kind of an adult-level attacker, which obviously Jason and Yao are not at this point. So I, I guess I'm curious your thoughts there. Yeah, I agree on Sagir Arce. Even if even if he wasn't played on the wings, given that uh, you know Pepe ended up going down, he would have been useful in that spot in hindsight, given it doesn't look like Wiki was comfortable with playing Ocampo Chavez up front. Penadath, uh, you know, I don't know. This is a Penadath is a constant um, topic of debate at scuffed global headquarters. I get that people <laughs> like his one v one ability, uh, but you are losing a lot on the defensive side to add a winger that, despite his one v one one v one ability, struggles pretty mightily in converting those stepovers to stats. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna kill myself about that. I'll, I'll say that. I, I guess in the end, this team just doesn't have a Timmy Weah or a Ulianes or, you know, not even an Andrew Carlton who was actually was really good in the last U17 World Cup. And, Absolutely. Um, and there's no, there's no Josh Sargent. I mean, Pepe was, Pepe was, Pepe's a good player. He's a good prospect, but he was not that good in this tournament. Sargent didn't have a great U17 World Cup, but he still scored a goal, still did some good things. We just didn't have any bite in the final third. And I think I think that had a cascading effect on the team. It made us so easy to deal with. They did not have to respect us on the wings at all. So then, you know, I think it applied even more pressure to our midfield, which was not up for that pressure. Which brings me to my next takeaway, if you don't mind. Central midfield softness. I know this is a this is a issue that's close to your heart, was once again an issue. Leva's not an elite athlete anyway, Danny Leva, but he looked gassed this whole tournament i'm sure weather played a role but he just wasn't physically up for the competition and um Saldana struggled as well and when i say wasn't physically up for the competition i i mean you know he in concacaf qualifying he he was a he bossed some games you know he had time on the ball and he was he was definitely the orchestrator for the u.s and he played really well and we asked him i think we asked a lot of him in this tournament in that way yeah and and the 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 pockets of space were smaller the 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 closing by opposing midfielders onto Leva was faster and he just didn't he was not able to do any of the stuff he did in qualifying yeah absolutely and what you know when you're the type of player that um is already working in fine margins because of your lack of you know as we said athletic ability when it when the game gets even faster, there you know there's a clear jump that you're going to have to make as a player to you know to get to that level and be able to connect those passes that you were only just able to connect last time, or you know get to the balls that you were only just able to get to last time against the lower level of competition. And mm-hmm. you no, know, it, it is a lot to ask of Leva, and it's the reason why I'm pro- I'm not going to be too hard on him coming out of this tournament because. It's it's really hard having seen the athletic and technical capabilities of the other teams in this group. It's hard to see a situation in which Leva ever had a great tournament. Like it, it was always going to be incredibly tough on him. And again, remembering he's already one of the younger players on this team. He's but, barely he's barely sixteen. Yeah. 
And but yet, yeah, as getting back to the original point, um, the lack of central midfield bite is, in my opinion, the, the biggest single issue that we had in Brazil. And perhaps if we were to pull up, to take a, a top-down view of the whole player pool, uh, the biggest problem that we have at every age group kind of right now. Bello and Leva needed to have fantastic tournaments on the ball to justify the lack of defensive cover that they provide, and neither came particularly close, Bucio in my opinion. Busio and Leva, right? Yeah, Busio and Leva, sorry. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the point of bringing Maxi Dietz to this tournament was. He we knew going... He didn't play. He didn't play. Yeah, didn't play. We knew going into the tournament that the midfield could struggle defensively and or and to cover ground, could struggle to cover ground, and Dietz was never going to solve that problem. If a player isn't part of the plan A, as he clearly wasn't, and doesn't work for plan B, what's the point of bringing him? I think that KO was horribly underutilized and that a player like John Tolkien would have been a much better last man on the roster uh, as he's capable of bringing that gritty defensive presence from midfield without sacrificing too much on passing ability. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't get the Deets deets inclusion either since he wasn't even used. And yeah, I, I... The way KO played in the second half last night is enough to, I think, make us make me question why he didn't play more. Yeah, mid, and also, like you said, midfield midfield softness is an issue, and I don't know if that has something to do with the player profiles that that Stewart are and Tony Lapore and uh, you know Ber, Berhalter are putting together, but it's a it's looking like a kind of consistent theme of a problem. Uh, next takeaway for me is getting MLS minutes doesn't make you a difference maker at the U17 level. I think, and this is weird, you know, we see this with Busio and Leva, solid performers in major league soccer this year did not make them effective at the U17 world cup. Busio's inability to create chances from what was essentially the 10 position was a real problem for us as well. I would say probably the third biggest problem after, you know, some combination of the central midfield softness and lack of wing danger creation. Yeah, I, I don't want to be too hard on them, but they are, you know, two of the biggest losers coming out of this tournament based on the expectations we had going in. You know, we thought that Busio, on the back of a couple of very solid games in Major League Soccer, might be ready to come into this tournament and put on the kind of performance going both ways, you know, attacking, defensive, getting open for teammates that, you know, kind of similar to what Pomichol ended up being able to do for the U-20s. Right. That's kind of what I was hoping for. Really? And, yeah. Yeah, and you had higher expectations than I did. <laughs> Perhaps that's true, but I thought that they'd be hyper confident going down to U seventeen level at least, and it, it totally did not look like that was the case. If I had to describe them both in a word, their performances at this World Cup, I, I'd probably use the word passive. Yeah, yeah, passive of passenger. I'm sure they have the same Greek or Latin roots. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> what else you got for a takeaway? I think that the you know the big takeaway for me from this tournament is that the pool just wasn't good enough to make noise at this in this World Cup group. Uh, mm-hmm. We can argue about player selection and whatnot, but I don't think there is any combination of twenty three American seventeen year olds that provides a significant improvement on what we saw. You know, again with the caveat, if, if we assume that it's wiki and we we're trying to play the same style the american 2002s and 2003s at this specific point in time and again that is a that is a caveat worth noting just aren't as good as senegal's and japan's and the netherlands and 
our development pipeline just isn't in a place yet where we can rely on it producing 11 World Cup already 17 year olds out of every age group. Yeah, I mean, I do want to talk about that a little bit more, but but let me just push back a little bit. If we had if if Tab Ramos had coached this team and he had put them in a, you know, sort of like a smash and grab 4-3-3 where we weren't, you know, we weren't trying so hard to build out of the back. It was much more pragmatic. Put KO in there um in the midfield just for his his athleticism and his sort of take the bull by the horns kind of play. Um maybe have a little bit uh, a little bit different selection um less focused on system and more on just like let's get results let's create some problems for the other team do you think we do you think we still wouldn't have had a chance of getting out of this group yeah it becomes more complicated at that point i do think that we would would have a better chance of getting out of the group but it wouldn't have been pretty i don't i don't think it would have been uh getting out of the group situation where we were confident that we were where that we'd be able to go much further mm-hmm. it would have been you know like maybe grab three points against japan on the counter because who's you know didn't look to be all that great defensively we just didn't ask that many questions of them and you know a point from one of the other games but yeah i, I, I do think it's mostly on the player pool okay why do you and think I, go ahead again it's the, the this this group was this world cup group was very good and that's worth noting that if we're in some of the other groups that I've watched that you know caught a couple of games where I think that we are able to put up more of a fight but you know just not we just happen to get put in the group of death this time yeah well why do you think the development pipeline can't produce 11 world cup ready 17 year olds out of every age group right now yeah it's it, we're just not developed enough yet as a soccer country for it to be the case you know despite having as many people as we do the the pipelines from u10 u12 whatever level you want to start at to professional team just aren't developed yet and i think that's the first thing you have to remember is that a lot of the uh, academies in this country are fundamentally flawed and that they don't end with a chance at professional minutes and when you start to get to this 16 17 year old age group if you're going to be a game-changing World Cup-level player at this level, you're probably already playing, practicing, at the very least, with professional players. Mm. And of the American MLS academies that theoretically fill that void, around a third of them are developmentally useless. And, you know, that's something that I harp on all the time. There are just some MLS, country, there are just some MLS uh, teams in this country that look like they could care less about developing players and that's that's not great <laughs> right and that's going to continue to be a problem going forward and then particularly a with this third that seems very generous to mls it you, is perhaps you, i've seen you in black and white say there are only like three or four that actually do care there there are three or four that do a good job okay that do a top to bottom good job and then there are teams like you know, teams that I'd call like Sporting Kansas City and the Columbus crew that are trying and, you know, I'll give them credit for trying. But, yeah, it's just that bottom that bottom third of teams that offer absolutely nothing is what what kind of kills us. Because, you know, if you're going to have one of those, if you're if you're going to have a professional a top first division professional soccer team in the United States and you're offering nothing for uh, in terms of youth development, 
you know, it's it's going to hurt the country as a whole. And, you know, we're talking about teams like Houston, Portland, New England, Portland. I know I just said them, but they're worth mentioning twice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, then, the, the good ones worth mentioning probably right now are the Galaxy. I mean, for whatever reason, it's a lot of it has to do with the amount of talent at their disposal. They they continue to produce players who who are good, who are good, who are good for the U17s and the U20s and for the national team. Um, yeah, uh, the the other three teams I'd put in that same category as them, like the the very top tier are FC Dallas, um, the New York Red Bulls, and the Philadelphia Union. I think those are kind of the four best uh, teams in the country. Maybe you could throw uh, NYCFC into the into the group but getting back to why the development pipeline potentially failing this cycle the new york red bulls and the philadelphia union pr- failed to produce a single player for this team for this world cup team right. and when you have two of the the five best academies in the country um two of the five only real academies that you can kind of count on producing players not produce a player for this group you suddenly have a very limited pool of players though it, it, you know again it could be noted that i think john tolkien of the new york red bulls could have easily been on this team yeah and i think the seattle sounders deserve mention for, oh for yeah not, that's right. for not only trying but um you know getting some results they had two players on this roster one of them was leva who didn't have a great tournament aoc didn't have a, a great second half last night and um but you know josh atencio is the same age as as danny leva and has has played as well as Leva for the Tacoma Defiance over the last uh, couple months, I think it's fair to say. So, I mean, you know, it's very possible Atencio rises and, be, and joins the U20 cycle and Leva doesn't, you know. I mean, anything can happen. But Seattle's doing Seattle's, – Seattle's giving it a real effort. I mean, they're giving those kids a lot of minutes in USL and trying yeah, to – trying to I do appreciate, do appreciate Garth Lagerway trying to, to build something up there like – he had built in in uh, Real Salt Lake, which which you know if they had been able to keep their players, would have had a nice little a nice little group of players come through that he had recruited mm-hmm. to the team while he was there. But yeah, I mean, it's just not enough. The, the MLS the MLS academies as a whole just do not offer enough for the U.S. youth national teams to to compete consistently on the world stage. And perhaps most troubling is that I don't think the DA has gotten a whole lot more competitive over the course of this cycle, largely due to the um, the different tiering of oh, teams yeah. that have been implemented this season. They uh, they did promotion relegation without the promotion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they relegated promotion. They relegated promotion for the MLS teams. All right, they re- relegated a bunch of uh, independent clubs to a second tier for in the name of in the name of better competition which is kind of baloney because some of these mls teams don't even do that well they haven't even been doing that well in development academy so a lot of that hashtag world-class da bills right travis clark will appreciate that reference um that's a lot of negative stuff so i want to close on we give a closing thought that's kind of positive i don't i don't disagree with any of what you said i'm just but i don't think we should throw out the player pool in this age group because of this tournament like i said earlier and i and i I see people doing that on the internet i mean kobe and kobe hernandez foster looks like a class player like he could be a left back 
for in one of the big five leagues if he can just get somebody to play him in that position and absolutely presumably he will get that soon um Gio Reyna had a didn't have a good tournament but he you know he's he's a very talented player and he's gonna I think he's gonna get every chance to develop and get first team minutes at Dortmund over the next couple of years and as we know Dortmund's a good place for young players I'm not selling any of my Ricardo Pepe stock despite a poor tournament he fits the profile of a of a real number nine and he's got plenty of time he's in 03 he's got plenty of time to figure it out and develop at North Texas. I hope the I hope the tournament wasn't so scarring for him that he just like immediately decamps for Mexico at the next <laughs> chance. Don't speak it into reality bells. Yeah, right. Um I I see we've talked about Danny Leva's limitations, but I'll just repeat he's barely 16. He does some things very well. Not giving up on him, I think he could he could develop physically over the next two years, and and that could that could make just enough difference where he can be like a good number six. I'm not saying it's gonna happen. I'm just saying it's it's possible. And then finally, Brian Ko, uh, Tavon Gray, and Nico Carrera are all still raw, but they have time to develop. And I wouldn't be shocked if any of them ended up playing for the national team. So, like you said, like you said at the beginning, Christian Pulisic and Tyler Adams were on that 2015 U17 side. Uh, if we get two of our better national team players from this roster, it's it's probably okay, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think there's a chance there's a chance we could get two to four, two, four, five national team players from this roster. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but two, I would say two is a very realistic prediction. Right, and it's worth noting again that. How good a player is when he is 16 or 17 does not almost in any way <laughs> equate to how good he's going to be as a you know fully grown adult. There are a lot of players on this team that I would call subpar players for the U17 World Cup level right now mm-hmm. who I believe are very, very good prospects. And, you know, uh, Danny Leva and a player like Brian Ko is are just two examples of that. Okay. Well, any closing thoughts before we move on from this little chapter of U.S. soccer history? I'm I'm more than ready to put this last uh, month and a week, I guess, of U.S. men's national team games behind me and look forward to us uh, beating Canada in a couple weeks here. <laughs> such optimism such optimism <laughs> um yeah so that's coming up in a couple of weeks now uh november 15th versus canada in orlando serginio dest will be there hopefully john brooks hopefully richie ledesma will be on the roster <laughs> no way uh, that's gonna happen <laughs> funny joke um all right Thanks everybody for listening. Thank uh, thank you so much, Matt. Really appreciate you taking time on your weekend to uh, not only fill out this document with me, but talk with me on the telephone. Not a problem, Bells. Glad I could join you. All right, everybody. We'll see you.